You are listening to the preaching ministry of Christ Church San Antonio. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.christchurchsa.com. Thank you for listening. We're glad you're here. Again, we want to welcome you. Thanks for greeting one another. As we continue in our service, we're going to take a look at um, some different sections of God's Word today. So if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and take it out. And uh, we're going to look at three different short selections from the letters of Paul, three readings. The first is from Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, and then two readings from 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, and 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If you don't want to flip around too much, you can just follow along on the on the screen behind me. So this is God's word. Let me read it for us. And so let's listen and give um, God as he speaks to us our full attention. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we ask for your help this morning as we come before your word. We pray that you would use it to work change and fruit in our lives spiritually. And Father, we pray that we would remember today that no matter where we're coming from this morning, no matter where we're coming from geographically, or no matter where we're coming from spiritually or emotionally or psychologically today, help us to remember that we are made in your image, and therefore we have value, dignity, and worth. Help us to remember that because of our own rebellion and sin, our, the image that we bear has been marred and damaged. And in Jesus, it is even right now through this service and through all the things that happen to us in our lives being put back together as you work to conform us to Jesus's image. So use our time together this morning to further that purpose, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a number of friends who this week went to see you too. I don't know if any of you are familiar with this. U2 is doing um, a small tour of their Joshua Tree album, which I think it's 30 years old now, if you can believe that. And they played in Houston early this week, and I think they played in the Metroplex later on in the week. And so I've, I've been fighting the sin of jealousy because I didn't get to go see U2. And I also went on a bit of a U2 binge this week listening to a lot of their music. And one of their songs is called Stuck in a Moment That You Can't Get Out Of. It's a great U2 song, and I love a lot of the lines in this song, but particularly uh, the chorus. Here's how it goes. You've got to get yourself together. You've got stuck in a moment, and now you can't get out of it. Don't say that later will be better. Now you're stuck in a moment, and you can't get out. I wonder how many of you feel stuck. 
right now in life, stuck in a moment that you don't feel like you can get out of, stuck in a life that you can't get out of, stuck in habits that we can't get out of, stuck in, stuck in relational gridlock that we can't get out of. This is a series that we're beginning today for those who feel stuck or for those who have felt stuck in their lives at some point or another. And, and here's what we want to communicate in the next six weeks as we begin this series called You Can Change. Christianity offers hope and help for those who feel stuck. And the answer is not, you've got to get yourself together, as you 2 says. Uh, the answer is a little bit different. And so what we want to do in the coming weeks as we move into the summer together is take a, a topical series and, and look at just the idea of change, especially in the Old and New Testaments of the Scriptures. And what we want to believe and experience is that there really is hope for change. There really is hope for change. You can change. That's the title of this series and the theme of this series. And the reason we can change and that I can say that with such confidence is because Jesus Christ himself promises that we can change through his word. And so that's what we're going to explore in the coming weeks. We're going to explore change. And in fact, we're going to take six weeks and look at six different questions. The question we're going to look at today is, what is it that you want to change? We'll also look at questions like, why do you want to change? How are you going to change? What stops you from changing? How can we help one another in change? And a few others. And here's something I would challenge you to think about and participate in as we seek to follow Jesus together with this particular teaching series in the next six weeks. I think it would be helpful if each of us would think and pray and perhaps identify one. Now, there's many areas, but maybe identify one area in your life that you would really like to see change. Now, it's not something that in six weeks, boom, fixed, done forever. But this perhaps can be a time in which the Holy Spirit will be at work in your life and allow you to really hone in on something in your life that you think is holding you back, that you think is uh, causing your communion with God to be muddled, and that the Spirit will maybe use to awaken you and grow you out of some of these particular struggles. I want to ask if we can think about moving forward and applying the gospel for change in a given area of your life. So, so maybe for you it's anger. Maybe for you it's lust. Maybe for you it's fear. You find yourself living in fear all the time. Maybe you don't want to be so cynical in some relationships that you have. Maybe you want to have better control of your tongue. It can be any number of things. I would ask that you would maybe this afternoon take some time and Pray and maybe speak to your spouse or someone in your family and ask, what do you think it is in my life that right now the Holy Spirit wants to help me grow in and work for change in? And what we're going to do in, the, in this series is I'm going to post some questions on the city each week that um, I hope will help us think during the week about our own particular change projects through this series. So, uh, let me also say that this series is inspired in part by a book by a man named Tim Chester called You Can Change, and uh, that's a really helpful book. I'd encourage you to buy it, <clears throat> excuse me, to buy it and read it if you're a reader, and if you're not a reader, I encourage you to begin reading and uh, to buy that and read it. That's a really good book. So this morning, we're going to begin with this question, what would you like to change? 
and this is introductory to our series, and, and we're, we're going to look at these three really wonderful parts of the letters of the Apostle Paul here as we get, lo- get rolling, and, and there's two goals I have for us. The first goal is this. I want you to ask yourself what you would like to change, like we just talked about it, and begin to consider and pray about how the Spirit might be leading you to address issues that you're facing. And then second, the second goal is that I want you to believe that God does want to change you and that he has also given you the power for change through his Holy Spirit. And that gets us to the main point. Here's the main idea for this morning's time together. God's agenda is to change us into the image of Jesus through the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the idea. So what I want to do is break that statement down into three parts. First, God's agenda is to change us. Second, God's agenda is to change us into the image of Jesus. And then third, his agenda is to change us into the image of Jesus through the gift or the power of the Holy Spirit. Just a few minutes. I know you got your kids with you. Hang in there. This will not be the longest sermon of the year, I assure you. So let's look first then at uh, God's agenda is to change us. If you look back at that very well-known passage, if you've been a Christian for a while, in Romans chapter 8, these are remarkable verses, verses 28 through 30 that come near the end of one of the most remarkable sections really ever written anywhere by anyone. This might be my favorite chapter in all of the Bible. And in verses 28 through 30, what we see is the Apostle Paul summarize God's purpose both in our individual salvation and in the entire cosmos. And one way you can summarize it is that God's purpose, God's agenda is to change us. That's the point of salvation. It's the point of the Christian faith. It's the point of our journey with Jesus is that for God's own glory and fame, he works to change us. And we see in this passage in particular that God is determined. God is determined to change us. Um, You'll see some really heavily freighted words there like predestined and justified and called and glorified. Those are heavily packaged theological Bible words. And what they do is they point us to the idea that from the very, very beginning, even before the beginning, before the beginning of history, before there was anything except when there was nothing except God, in his own eternal and infinite mind, he saw all that was to come to pass and he had determined to make us into to make us into people that reflect Jesus' own glory. He determined that and set that out in his own counsel. That's what that word predestination, predestined, gets at. And he's so determined to do it that he's going to bring it to pass. The last word we see there in verse 30 is the word glorified. That refers to our future in heaven. And so what we see here is that God in his sovereign wisdom and power from before there was anything until the very end of all things, his purpose is to make us new people. Can I tell you something? In this, our particular tradition, the Reformed tradition, we value highly the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God in salvation. And, and here's one of the reasons that I think the Bible teaches this so well and so clearly and so beautifully. The sovereignty of God in salvation, the idea that it's God who is in charge, it's God who's calling the shots, it's God who from the beginning to now to the end works according to the purposes of his will to change us. Why that's good news is because it gives us hope and confidence. It allows us to really rest in the truth 
that ultimately God is the one who has taken responsibility for our own transformation. That should, I hope, fill you with some confidence this morning. Ultimately, you are not on the line for your own transformation. Yes, you have a role to play. Yes, there are things you can do that will help, and there are things that you can do that will hurt. But God, in his sovereign goodness and grace, has purposed from before any of us were ever even born to change us into Jesus' image. And I want you to see there that his agenda is to change us and that he uses everything in our lives to accomplish that purpose. Look at verse 28. We know that for those who love God, what does he say? All things. That is an exhaustive, all-inclusive phrase. All things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to God's purpose. Now, that doesn't say that all things are good. It doesn't say that everything that happens in your life is a good thing. No, the, the idea is actually much more profound than that. It says that both good things and bad things are mysteriously used by God for the ultimate goal of your personal transformation. And if you've heard that idea before and you're a Christian, it's very easy, I think, to take a, a stoic view of that teaching. So that when bad things happen to us, we, you know, we just sort of think, well, God's sovereign. God intends it to good. I guess I should just grin and bear it and buck up and move forward. And, and I would encourage you to reconsider if that's your mindset. That, that's not a helpful mindset. This text doesn't lead us to, to believe that we shouldn't mourn or grieve over bad things. We should. Bad things are still bad. This world is still broken. What this text does, rather, is help us to understand that in the midst of bad things and in the midst of broken things, we can have hope because God somehow is going to use those for our own ultimate transformation, for our own ultimate good. John Newton, a very famous Christian of the past who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace and has an amazing story, wrote a letter. I've used this illustration before in in our services because I think this is such a powerful letter. He wrote a letter to a woman who was in his church who had just lost her sister. Her sister had just passed away. And Newton's letter is very pastoral and loving. And here's what he writes to this grieving sister. And I think it, it fits the point that we're studying this morning. Here's what he says. Your sister is much upon my mind. Her illness grieves me. Were it in my power, I would quickly remove it. I wish you may be enabled to leave her and yourself and all your concerns in God's hands. Now listen to this. All shall work together for good. Everything is needful that he sends. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. Here's what the doctrine that God's agenda is to change you helps you with. Anything that has ever happened in your life or is happening in your life now is somehow happening because you need it. And if you knew everything that God knows, you would agree. The problem is we often have a very small uh, glimmer into what our circumstances really mean for us. But God has a perfect idea and understanding of it. And so there's nothing that's happening in your life for good or for ill that is not a part of God's long-term change project to make you the person that he initially created us to be at the beginning. You know, I think this idea that God's agenda is to change us helps us live in hope. It helps us live in hope instead of cynicism. 
you know, if you're honest, isn't it easy to become cynical very quickly in our world and in our culture? How often do we say, you know, maybe about another person, he's never going to change. She's never going to change. That's just who she is. Or about yourself, I will always have this issue. Or it's one bad thing after another. I'm never going to recover. I'm never going to get my, my spiritual legs under me again. No, I'm not trying to be reductionistic. There are multiple complex factors that contribute to the wounds of the world and to each of our lives. But, but I do think it's fair to say that the fabric, the fabric that the scriptures weave are a fabric of gospel hope. God's agenda is to change you. And the areas in your life where you are most cynical, where you say, I will never get past this, this is a worthless pursuit, or this is a waste of time, I believe that those are the areas perhaps where the Holy Spirit is pressing you the most into faith and into the hope of gospel grace. God's agenda is to change us. Secondly, we see that God's agenda, his sovereign agenda, that he uses everything to further is to change us for a specific goal or end. Look back at that Romans 8 text and you'll see in verse 29 what I mean. There Paul says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined purpose. Here's why. To be conformed or changed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So, what this is saying is that what you and what I and what all humans were initially created to be like is to be like the Son of God himself, to be image bearers who bear a divine mark that reflects and mirrors in a lot of ways what, what God himself is like. And God's goal is to change us, to form us back into the image of his son, the image of Jesus himself. Making us like Jesus was God's plan from the very beginning. You see more about this in that 2 Corinthians 3 passage that I read. Verses 17 and 18. Here we see that those of us who are followers of Jesus are, verse 17, being transformed, changed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Like Moses, that's who he's just been talking about. When Moses received the law and came down from Mount Sinai, his face was glowing because he had been before the presence of God. So we're being changed into the same image. What image? Well, the image of the Lord, the image of Jesus Christ. You see that there in verse 18. So God's purpose in his new covenant, New Testament ministry for his church is that we might see the glory of Jesus. And as we gaze upon the glory of Jesus, be more and more transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We grow like Jesus as we gaze at Jesus in faith. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things. But practically, let me just try and communicate this this morning. God wants to make you like Jesus. That's his goal for change. But, but here's the thing. Often, our goals for change are much smaller. We will settle for meager goals. We will set our sights far too low. Now, we might know, all of us would admit, I would imagine, that there are things in our lives that we want to change. 
We might know what we want to change. We might think about it all the time. But usually, I think usually we fail to think about if the things that we want to change are going to actually make us more like Jesus or not. Maybe a way to sum it up is like this. Part of our problem is that we don't think changing to be more like Jesus is really in our best interests. And so we will settle for much less. We all want to change, but often we want to change into someone that is much less than what God intends. I came across an article in the New York Times this week that's a couple of years old by a man named Arlie Hochschild, and the article is called The Outsourced Life, where uh, the, the author describes this new field of psychology called wantology. Wantology. And a wantologist, any wantologists in the room? Okay, good. I can continue then. A wantologist is a person who aims at helping people discern their desires and work towards getting what they want. The goal is to, it's to help a client connect the dots of desire, so to speak. What do I want? How do I get it? We all want. That's one of the presuppositions of this article. But in the article, it's very clear that what people want is oftentimes very, very meager compared to what God wants for us. You see, wantology can't offer all the answers we need. It speaks to the idea that we know we need to change some things. We want things to be different, but we set our sights far too low. I wonder what it is that you most want to change. Maybe you want to look different. Maybe you want to have a better body. Maybe you want to have more friends. Those are all perhaps legitimate desires. And yet they don't even begin to get close to what God wants for you. God's agenda is to change you into Jesus' image. Maybe it would be helpful for us to just think for a couple of seconds about what it would be like to be more like Jesus. I mean, we'll never be God. That's a difference that's never going to be filled. But we can more and more change into his image. What might that mean? Think about this with me. Think about what Jesus was like. Jesus loved his enemies. Remember when Jesus is on the cross being murdered unjustly? He prays to God, what? Father, what? Forgive them. Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus, if you read about him in the Gospels, he wasn't filled with the malice or the vindictiveness or, or the anger that often eats us up on the inside. He was forgiving in his love. Wouldn't you want to be more like that? Jesus, Jesus was wise. You know, when he's questioned by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of his day, he gives measured answers when they try to trick him and entrap him. He was able to fight against the temptations of the evil one because he had stored God's words to him in his heart and he was able to apply them. He was wise. Wouldn't you want to be wise like Jesus? Jesus was courageous. Jesus had the fortitude to move forward into what he knew were going to be horribly difficult situations and still do the things that he knew God had called him to do. I mean, think about what it must have been like for him in that upper room, knowing Judas is going to betray him in just a few moments. And he says, whoever has dipped his hand with me in this bowl, he's the one who's going to betray me. Jesus knows what's going to happen. 
My temptation is to try to circumvent that process and say, I'm going to cut Judas off before he can do what he's trying to do. But Jesus knows this is God's will, and he's able to courageously walk into it. Imagine Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying along with his father. The disciples can't pray with him. They fall asleep in five minutes, right? But Jesus is praying. He's sweating blood, the text tells us. And he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cut pass from me. And God says, it's not possible. And Jesus says, thy will be done. And he has the courage to walk into it. Wouldn't it be great to grow into that kind of Christ-like courage? Jesus communed with God in a, in a sense that is more intimate than I think we can ever begin to really fully realize. Jesus' prayer life in the Gospels is so obviously incredible and intimate. He would go away into isolation and speak with his heavenly Father. He had clear access to God. Not the fuzzy communication channels that I often feel when I try to pray. And I imagine that you will feel when you try to pray. Wouldn't it be great to be more and more like Jesus, more wise, more courageous, more in love with God the Father, more faithful, more loving? That is God's goal for you. So if you want to change things in your life, I think that part of what this text calls us to is to not set our sight too short. God's goal is to make us like Jesus. And that's a goal that's worthy. So God's agenda is to change us into the image of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, we see that he does this through the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is really important to get. God doesn't just want to change you by giving you Jesus as a good example to imitate. You know, my kids, when we, well, when they do art and creative projects, I don't do many of those with them because I'm left-handed. I never learned to use scissors. Like, I can't cut, so I'm terrible at cutting out crafts and stuff still to this day. But my kids are great. My daughter is wonderful at it, and she'll often, like, have a template of something that she will draw around and then cut it out and make a nice little craft. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And, and, and I really struggle to do that, but it's fun to watch my kids do it. And I think often the way we approach the Christian life is that Jesus is just our template. And we're going to do our best to be as much like him as we can. And I want to encourage you to perhaps see that, that that's going to inevitably lead to failure. It's going to lead to, to depression. And the reason for that is because even the most self-disciplined of us can only, in our own power, at best, make slow incremental changes over a long period of time. And so that's why this third point is important. And that's what the texts communicate, that God doesn't just call us to change by saying, be more like Jesus. He actually empowers us to change by giving us the spirit of Jesus. Look at the passage, 2 Corinthians 3. Verse 18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now look at what he says next. For this comes from the Lord, this transformation, this change. It comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And in verse 17, we see that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What does that mean? Well, this tells us that on our own, we cannot be the people we want to be. 
And we certainly can't be the people that God wants us to be that reflect God's glory. We're trapped by our sinful desires and emotions and actions. But when we turn to Jesus in faith, Jesus sets us free through the Holy Spirit so that we are no longer living in fear of a glorious God, but now we are free to delight in God's glory as his sons and daughters through the ministry of the Spirit. We're now motivated in Christ, not by fear of the law and the repercussions of the law, but but by the opportunity to experience the glory and freedom of God through the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5 makes a similar point using different language. Paul says there that if any one of us is in Christ, is connected to Jesus by faith, then he or she is a new creation. What that says is that if you've believed in the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross to forgive sins and was raised again from the dead so that you might have life, then right now, in principle, you are a new person. You've already experienced in your inner self all the transformation that you need. When you connect to Jesus, present tense, you are a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. And the work of the Holy Spirit, you see, is to more and more shape our present daily lives to evidence the inner spiritual reality of who we already are, new people. When we believe in Jesus, we become new people in principle, And then throughout the rest of our life, the Holy Spirit powerfully operates in our lives to make us those new people in practice. Here's the good news. The good news is that you have the power to change in real and profound ways if you're in Jesus. You've been given the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So what is it that you want to change? The gospel calls us to pursue change in faith with confidence. Why do you think it is that Jesus, before he went into heaven, said to his disciples in John chapter 16, it's a good thing for me to leave you? Do you know Jesus said that before he died? I'm going to my father's house where there are many rooms and it's good. And here's why. It's good because when Jesus leaves, he says, then I will send my helper, the Holy Spirit, and he will lead you into the truth. He will lead you into righteousness. He will guide you into all things. The good news of the gospel is that God doesn't just call us to change and then leave us to our own devices. No, God calls us to change and then empowers us to do it through the Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus. What is it that you want to change? Believe that God is about that work in your life. And right now, In your own spiritual reservoirs, you have the power for transformation. May it be true of us more and more. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, let's pray.